The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. There was no way our bodies would last if half the stations were anything like the warm beer event. It would be easy if they were all sweetheart events with fewer women screaming. There was no time to think about our soon-to-be failure because they gave us another clue to solve. Our next clue was, it's a house on the dark side and not at the back. Hurry up so you can shoot one back. We all had no idea where the next house was. The brothers exploded at us and eventually told us that it was Mitch's house. We started the trek towards campus so we could cut through, but remembered we couldn't cut through campus. There would be Sig H brothers scattered throughout the campus, making sure we wouldn't cheat. It was probably bullshit, but we couldn't risk it. We cut along 2nd Street, one street away from Main Street, until we hit the large horseshoe-shaped hill that wrapped around the top of the campus, connecting the light side to the dark side. We ran up the long hill, unintentionally in a line formation. If anyone asked, we were a band named the Beach Bums. John said he wasn't from the beach, and we told him that a cop wouldn't know that. So we agreed on the Beach Bums. as. A so our band's name was the Chuck, the Chuck, uh, the Chuck Fives or the Chuck Taylor Fives. How many did you have when you first started pledging? There was five of us. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So we were the Chuck Fives. The thing we were is, the Chuck Taylor Five. That's what we were. The Chuck Taylor Five. We had that's our. That's why we were wearing the matching Chucks. <laughs> the Chuck Five. I was gonna say we had our plan, but should the cops have stopped us, I think we all would have fallen apart. Okay, so we did get so okay, so I'm kind of talking about an event you haven't gotten to yet because okay. when we when we as a group interacted with the cops, it was at an, it was at a later event. Gotcha. But it was the same it was the same setup. We you know, from the beginning we were told you're a band. If you ever get stopped by the cops, you're a band. Yeah, this you're is your band. cover. This is your cover story. So, but but we were further along, so we were all wearing matching shoes. But that we'll get to that later. I think we had Chuck Taylors at the time. I think we've already bought them at this point. But we did. You you didn't. We did. You didn't talk about your dying ceremony and all that. I don't think we had a dying ceremony yet because we sprayed ours later on. Anybody that's listening is like a dying ceremony. They died. Yeah, our shoes were died, not our people's. <laughs> all right uh yeah i just wanted to throw that out there because the, i remember the band name that thing i thought that was funny the plan b while we were running up the hill in our all black uniform colors we started talking about how easy pledging was so far tony kept telling us how wasted he was and i didn't understand how all of us were puking into that bucket back at barrera ron and jj's house how could he be drunk Maybe it was because he was a little man, or just not good at handling his composure. We had to run for what felt like a mile. Lots of running across campus would be good for the little fella to help sober up. It took us quite a bit to find Mitch's house, but when we did, we knew it was his house because it had 20 drunken idiots on the front lawn and porch. They were screaming our names and the word Schmeg, our new slave name. As we ran up to the house, the typical, come on, hurry up, let's go, move it, shouts could be heard, probably from blocks away. This broke me 
because even to this day when somebody's like, come on, hurry up. I don't know what it is. It penetrates through all of my abilities to not be mean or angry. And I just want to say, shut the fuck up. Yeah, I don't like being rushed at all. And I'm I'm normally like ready to go fairly early for things. Me too. Getting out the door is another story, but I'm usually ready to I'm usually ready to go before I get out the door. We ran to the entrance of the house where we were stopped by Forrest Grimes. He kept asking us if we knew how to squawk. He was completely wasted and making a fool of himself. When we got inside, we were told that we were going to learn how to squawk. We all piled into the living room of the two-bedroom house. One of the brothers came out from behind everyone and demonstrated a perfect squawk for us. Then he said, Did you see it? Do you understand what to do? He did it again for us to see. It looked like the worm mixed with a burpee. At the end of his movement, he screamed at the top of his lungs, Squawk! The brothers all cheered for him and then put their focus on us. It was our turn to try these retarded-looking ground thrusts. It looked like it was going to kill our balls even practicing. I went first and flopped onto my face. Kerplunk! It looked like I was trying to do a flat-drop plank onto my face. The vicious uproar that happened afterwards really made me want to get it the next time I tried. Chippy said he could demonstrate another squawk for us. After he did the squawk perfectly, the brothers cheered for him. When it was my turn to try again, I felt pretty confident in myself. I wasn't sure if any of the warm beer we indulged in earlier in the night made it to my stomach, giving me liquid courage, or if it was the pressure to succeed from the brothers is what did it. I tried a second time after the berating from the brothers in the room, but came to the same result. Kerplunk. I landed right on my face. Oh, two in a row. Look at him like a broken fucking crane. The brothers laughed. They continued laughing and cheering. I was entertaining them. Perfect, you can't kill the muse, I thought to myself. I tried for a third time and pulled a major belly flop, followed by a poor hump and me yelling squawk. Squawks were very hard without arm strength. I was a long distance runner. I didn't have arm strength. So the way you describe a squawk, um, the way I remember <clears throat> the way I remember it being described to me was you go into a handstand and then you kind of back into a worm. And then you prop yourself up on your front, your on your arms, and then you yell the squawk, right? So so I always, <coughs> I was always terrified that my arms were going to buckle in the handstand. <laughs> if, uh, never happened, but I was always terrified of that possibility. If you were super strong, which happened like later on for me, you're able to do it in such slow motion that you can just like feel that you're doing a perfect squawk. But in the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, yeah. Between tripods and, and the other exercises, I mean, even to this day. Uh, I can do like 10 pull-ups without, without blinking. I've, my upper body strength is my upper body strength is way more than I think it should be considering I don't work out. I don't even know if I could do a tripod anymore. Wait there. I can still do upside down pushups. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he is attempting a tripod. Okay. So I can definitely still do a tripod. Funny. 
Yeah, I can definitely still do the tripod too. I can still do standing push-ups. You know where you you uh you do a handstand against the wall and you do push-ups with your yeah. dick a flopping against the wall. Oh yeah. <laughs> so in case anybody wants to know, I'll try to post a video on how to do a tripod separately. Good idea. Well, the brothers were telling me to yell louder next time. Say it like you mean it, with conviction, with pride, with balls. That's it. You're done for now. This is painful to watch. You'll have an entire semester to learn how to not suck balls and squawking, Mitch said. Mitch had hung out with us at the beginning of the semester before Fox and Hounds. He was the one that smoked a blunt with us on Callum's front porch. Mitch didn't have to yell at me for his words to sting. He kept a firm voice, which made you have to listen to what he had to say whether you wanted to hear it or not. It was like his voice penetrated your ear shields, and it went straight to your cerebral cortex. He told me to go to the next room and take a shot. The next room beyond the squawking room was the kitchen. Patrick O'Connor was standing in it with the lights off, holding a shot glass, faintly illuminated by his lighter. He said, Here's your shot. Now shoot it back like a champ, and don't be a pussy. I rocketed back the shot. It had something in it, but I swallowed it. When I was done, Patrick O'Connor told me to go through the kitchen door and out into the backyard. Next, I could hear Tony going through the same thing. When he came outside, Tony told me what was in his shot glass because he could see it. Tony's shot glass had bourbon, a goldfish, and two broken cigarette butts in it. A brother didn't have a place to throw his cigarette, so he broke it in half and threw it in Tony's shot glass. This still makes me laugh, even listening to myself say it. It could have been a car key in that shot glass, and we still would have shot it back. Of course. Mine was dirty bong water in a goldfish. Poor fish. That's why Tony got a cigarette. Good thing I took mine all in one sip. John Knowles said, Hey, there's a fucking goldfish in that shot glass. I could hear him from outside. So then I knew I had just taken a shot of goldfish and something else. I heard O'Connor yell, Take it, you fucking pussy. James, Tony, and Mike already did, and they're waiting for you. When John was done, he came out of the back door and out into the dark yard where James, Tony, and I were standing waiting. They just made me eat a fucking fish, John Knoll screamed. Our next clue was, You've been giving chase to them all night with minimal success. And when you rush to their den to indulge in trays like men, be sure not to make a mess. This was easy. Even Tony got it. Tony said, that's Chippy's house. Thanks, Tony. What had me curious was the second portion of the puzzle. What the hell was a tray? I was wondering if it was a tray of food or a tray of more warm beer. It didn't matter what it was. They couldn't haze us all night. We would just have to keep playing the game. I am so happy that I wrote down all of the trivia questions exactly how they were said because it is still awesome to this day. I was I was saying I'm surprised you have all the trivia questions. I got everything, man. Hardest parts changing who the real people were. Yeah. And remembering the list. That's the toughest part for you. I had to go through this book like Many times. If I only went through it for grammar that many times. Just before we left, Kyle Baker ran out of the back door of Mitch's house and said, Hey, don't even think about running through campus. 
And if you're smart, you'll run around the top of campus again, up the hill. We all looked back at him puzzled because it would be much easier for us to run around the lower part of campus where there weren't any giant hills. We jogged back up the hill around the giant university sign and back to the light side. We were going to have diesel calves if we had to do this every day this semester. We ran down the first street we came across and then head straight towards Chippy and Eric's house. It was exciting, but our stomachs were starting to fill with an unfamiliar concoction of warm beer and seafood. We knew that any more chances to catch Chippy and Eric were over, so we all agreed as a pledge class that we wouldn't sprint or run fast to each house. If we wasted our energy, we may be pooched later if the events kept going all night. Even without running, it only took us a little over 10 minutes to get to their house. When we rounded the back alley near their house, we could see a few brothers outside, holding 40s and smoking cigarettes. Took you fucksticks long enough? A brother yelled when he saw us coming down the hill. When we got closer, we could see Callum, Chippy, Krabs, and Eric standing outside. Krabs didn't say a word to us the entire night. He just watched. Callum, Chippy, and Eric showed us inside, where there was nothing to memorize or learn, nothing to gain, nothing but a boring apartment. Chippy brought us into the kitchen, and there were five ice cube trays lined up in a neat row, one for each person in my pledge class. We couldn't all fit into the kitchen, so Eric gestured towards the ice cube trays and said, Mike and John can go first, James and Tony second. Go ahead, Mike. I walked into the kitchen from the crowded living room. There were five or six brothers that I could remember being there. By this point, I was so into this event that I wasn't paying attention to them. I had already gotten yelled at once for looking at brothers and not drinking a warm 40 right away. I didn't want to get yelled at again. As I got closer to the ice cube trays, I saw what looked like hot sauce, or vomit, or runny shit down one side of the ice cube tray, and what looked like piss down the other side. My immediate thought was that I wasn't going to touch the ice cube tray for the life of me. This is actually about the time that my inner senses decided to catch up with me again. I had to ask myself, what the fuck I was doing there? I wanted to say fuck this, punch one of them in the face on the way out, and quit. But I didn't. Instead, I just tried to figure out what the more distasteful looking item on the menu was. I said, that looks like piss. Is that fucking piss? If that's piss, I'm not drinking that. It's not fucking piss strikes, and you will drink it if you want to keep going through the events tonight, Chippy said. My mind was spinning. I already had come so far in the night. Was I going to give up over something that probably wasn't what I thought it was? Besides, even if they both were what I thought they were, you have to try everything once, right? And this was college. I grabbed one of the straws and started to suck out the shit side. After sucking the first cube of shit, I looked up for a moment to quickly swallow. What I thought was shit was not. It was a conglomerate of hot sauces and nasty condiments. As I savored the awful combination of tastes, I turned back to see how John was doing. It might as well have been shit. There was never anything that wasn't a gross combination of lots of things, I think. There was never any just pure... I take that back. I remember sardines, pure sardines. And I remember pure clam juice. 
Yeah, clam juice is fucking disgusting, though. Who do you know that drinks clam juice? And sardines, yeah, sardines are a great source of protein. But when somebody gives you sardines after your mouth's already dry, it's like, oh, this is terrible. Horrific. He hadn't even touched his ice cube tray yet. And to my displeasure, I saw that he had been watching me the entire time as if I were the guinea pig for the both of us. I laughed, and I got yelled at and went back to my disgusting ice cube tray. If there is any exemplary person that can show you how to pledge smarter and not harder, it was John Knowles. That dude took every shortcut possible. You mastered it. Mastered pledging. At the same time, John decided to get a little bit of courage and said, Fuck this. He tipped his entire tray upwards, and it funneled perfectly into his mouth. Not a single drop from the piss-looking side hit the floor. As for the hot sauce, most of it landed in his mouth, but the rest fell onto his shirt and face. Look at John, putting it back like a fucking man, Chippy cheered. I saw this all out of the corner of my eye as I gagged through individual ice cube molds of crap. I started to feel competitive, because that was bullshit. I would have poured the tray into my mouth too, if I didn't think we had to use the straws. I also never knew that you could turn an ice cube tray vertically, and everything would pour out of it so perfectly. That's when I figured that the brothers just wanted us to eat the shit, and they didn't care how it got into our stomachs. Would you say that's an accurate statement? Yeah, I think they just wanted us to experience the pain of the eating it. But it didn't matter how it got into your mouth, right? Like, you could have scooped it off the floor, you could have uh, sucked it through that little fucking cocaine straw that you guys gave us. Right. I picked up my ice cube tray and put the whole thing back. I spilled half the piss on my face and got all the vomit-looking hot sauce down. The piss-like substance was warm and kind of bitter. It had a kick like it was a strong booze, but I couldn't tell because I'd never drunk piss before. On top of which, what I thought was piss was being mixed with a combination of horrible condiments from the other half of the ice cube tray. It made a wonderful mixture that I couldn't wait to throw up. Good job, guys, Eric said. Not really, Crab said, looking at Eric. He hadn't said a single word to us since our first pledge meeting. It was James's and Tony's turns to dine in next. They each used the Knowles tray method and tipped their ice cube trays into their mouths. Crabs was like that guy that hires a bunch of prostitutes just to have sex with each other, and then he just sits and watches quietly in the corner. Agreed. That's, yes, accurate description. They devoured theirs quickly, doing a great job. They wanted to get this event over with, just as quickly as John Knowles and I did. Okay, guys, now get to the fraternity house and wait for your next instructions. No more clues, Callum said. We couldn't believe they were going to make us do more. We sighed and started on our journey back to the fraternity house. We went down the back alley, behind Eric and Chippy's house. When we were jogging back to the fraternity house, we started talking amongst ourselves. We debated whether or not there would be anything else to do, or if we were done at the next station. Tony kept saying he wanted to quit, and James kept telling him it wasn't bad. James did mention that we should be mindful that we had class the next day, though. I tried to turn the tone by saying, Fuck that crabs guy, man. Doesn't say a fucking word to us, except not to get in trouble, and then doesn't say shit to us again tonight. Instead, he has to be a passive bitch and say we didn't do a good job. 
Let's see his fat ass run around this fucking campus. We were almost back to the fraternity house when James responded to what I had said about crabs. He definitely did this already, or he wouldn't be in the fraternity, Mike. James was right, and if crabs could do it, we could all easily do it. Crabs was just trying to put us down and try to mentally dominate us. When we got to the fraternity house, we went inside. We were told to line up against the wall in the main party room on our knees and put our noses against the wall. We were just waiting to be told what next bullshit item we had to ingest. Tonight you guys did a good job. You finished a few things as a team and solved some puzzles together as well. This is just the beginning of your individual brotherhood, a bond that you will share with one another, that will make you closer than you are with any brother in this fraternity. Also, if you make it through pledging and we decide we want you as a brother, that you will value the times you've had with your pledge brothers more than anything else. This will be the best time in your life that you will never want to do again, Eric said. Eric told us we were going to have to act as one pledge if we wanted to make it through the semester, a cohesive unit. He mentioned that a pledge class was only as strong as its weakest link. At this point, the weak links would be the pledges that couldn't hold in there and wanted to quit. Pledging didn't seem that hard. A few pukes, some embarrassing athletic shit, and eating some nasty stuff in trade for parties, pussy, and drugs. So I think we talked about this two episodes ago, but at first it was just staying in a house and getting to know each other and having to drink. And now I'm talking about puking and group hazing and running around and almost being a slave and that's accept like that's an acceptable thing. You uh you acclimate really fast when you have to. Absolutely. It seemed like I would make out like a bandit in the end. When the brothers were done constructively criticizing us, my phrase for verbal hazing, they told us to turn around when they turned on the lights. When you turn around, you will meet your big brother. Your big brother will be someone who will help and support you in the fraternity. They think that they will get along with you well. Know that some brothers wait for four years or more of their college career before picking a little brother. So you should all appreciate this, LT said. When we turned around, we were each face to face with a fraternity brother. I turned around, and in my amazement, my big brother was Eric Davis. I thought that Callum, Chippy, LT, or one of the Meathead brothers would have chosen me. The fact that Eric picked me as his little brother made me even more excited because he was cool. Eric and I had a lot in common. Music, drugs, drinking, and we both had a beach boy vibe. He also loved smoking copious amounts of cannabis. I thought we would make great friends over the coming years. Eric presented me with an even cooler gold pledge pin to replace my cheaper gold one. This is when I realized the previous one that they had given me was fake gold. The one I was given by Eric was a real gold pin, not a fake one. I think that the first one was gold-plated and the second one was all the way gold. I think that was, yeah, the second was solid gold. It was an awesome reward for our night. This is your pledge pin. You wear this pin at all times off campus, but make sure you take it off when you're on campus or you could get into a lot of trouble. Every person on campus that's anybody knows what our symbol looks like. If a girl touches this once at any of our parties, you tell her she has to kiss you on the lips. 
If she refuses, then she has to kiss you on the cheek. If she doesn't, then she has to leave the party, so don't be little pussies when girls touch your pin. They know what the deal with the pin is, so don't let them pretend they don't know. If they touch it twice, then go to town, Chippy said. He said this so confidently that we all looked at each other with a newfound confidence ourselves. It was like a makeout button I could pin to my shirt. The pledge pin, in my young mind, stood for press here for smooches. The Fox and Hounds event is officially over, guys. Go home and get some rest. We will be in touch. We have lots of parties this week. Make sure that we see you in the library and that you get some interviews started this week, Eric said. We all put on our new pins and left out of the back door of the fraternity house. We were so pleased with our performance, and by this time, a little tired. Okay, we were exhausted, I can't lie. I had puked, puked some more, ran, eaten all sorts of crap, and puked a little more. We all needed a good night's sleep. Okay guys, have a great night, you can leave now, Chippy said. James and Tony left as quickly as possible. When John and I were leaving, Chippy shouted, Wait up! Shit, I thought to myself. John and I both rolled our eyes at one another as we turned to look at Chippy. Do you guys want to come over and smoke some gravities? Chippy asked. A feeling of relief came over John and I. Normally I would, man, but I'm fucking exhausted and I have class in the morning. I'm going to bed, I said. I'll go, John said. Come on, Strikes, just for a bit. Peer pressure suckered me in. He didn't even have to ask twice. We went to Chippy and Eric's, and we stayed until about 2.30 a.m. They made us clean up their kitchen from earlier in the night. One of us had thrown up and not hit a trash can in the kitchen. It was a tiny trash can that we all contributed to the contents of. It was kind of shitty that John and I were invited to hang out, but tricked into cleaning a shitty, barfy kitchen in the process. Chippy and Eric told us that if one of us made a mess, we all made a mess. I saw it as, I didn't fucking puke on the counter and floor. Well, maybe the floor a little. Why should I have to scrub this place down? Eventually, they kicked us out because they had classes in the morning. Before we left, I asked Chippy and Eric, Guys, I have to know. The liquid in the ice cube tray? What the fuck was it? They looked at one another and both laughed. Should we tell them? Eric said. It was fucking piss strikes. I lied to you. Chippy said, trying to instigate a reaction. I sat there uninterested in their games. I had already ingested whatever it was. The bad part was over. I was only curious. John started asking, playing into their game. Eventually, Chippy said, Okay, okay. Bourbon. It was bourbon. Bullshit, I said. No, really, Eric replied. Straight bourbon, nothing else in it. Yeah, man, for real. Just regular bourbon. I think he was telling the truth, but I had to ask. Then why did it make me and all the other guys gag? We tricked all of you into thinking it was piss and vomit, or shit. You guys believed it enough to let your minds run wild with it, and the idea fucked you in the skull. This entire process is a mindfuck, guys. You have to remember that. We will never make you eat shit or piss. The shot glasses, though? Those goldfish had died in the bag when we were driving back from the pet store with them, Chippy said. John and I walked back to campus, converse on our feet, and gold pledge pins on our shirt. I love how Chippy nonchalantly tells us that we drank dead fish. Oh, by the way, 
Yeah, by the way, that wasn't shit or piss, but you definitely ate some fish that had died hours ago. We talked about what we had accomplished that night. We ended the night stronger as a team, stronger as individuals, and with more confidence in our pledge class. We now had pledge pins and big brothers in the fraternity, and we were getting ourselves closer to our goal. It was an unforgettable night, and now James, John, Tony, and I deserved a good, sound sleep. No, you schmags didn't. We didn't. We didn't deserve anything. We were dirty schmags. So that was the first real event, Fox and Hounds. Yeah. And now it's all just going to devolve from here until we're just troglodytes by the end of the chapters. It's going to be so good. Tune in next time, homies. Yay.